If you think about church, what is the first thought that comes to mind? Maybe um, it's the place you didn't go to when you were little, but I think for most people in South Africa, we, have, we grew up with some kind of a connection to religion and to the church. So what is interesting to me is they are not always good memories when, I th- when you think back about specifically about church. I can remember my dad, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and my dad was also a pastor, and we didn't have a church building back when I was, when I was younger. We, my dad took over a church that was two years old, so almost our church's age, and we were also still meeting in a school. And my parents never told us that we had to go to church, but it's kind of something you just think you have to do, right? You just get up on a Sunday, and you have to go to church. And I remember so well that I didn't want to go in because it was so boring and so frustrating to me. I was little. I didn't understand what was going on. So I would hide in the garden. And if you've ever seen some of the older schools or the older churches, they always had these weeping mulberry trees. The branches hang like, they almost make like a little fountain. And if you leave them, they will grow right to the ground. And I would sneak through those branches and sit against that tree and kind of hide so that I didn't have to go to church because there was nothing like kids' church back then. And I don't want to sit through the, through the big service. And then afterwards, my mom would be like, you, went, you came to church, like, where were you? You just disappeared. And often I would do that because I didn't understand what was going on. It didn't make sense to me. And maybe when you think back, you've got a memory of parents who dropped you off for Sunday school. Or parents who went to church twice a year and you were sitting there and you were counting like the bricks in the wall and how many lights were out. And I think in South Africa, we see that our Christianity is rapidly declining. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is not that there's a problem with Christianity, but that there was a problem with the religious structures that we've built that created a place where it didn't make sense to us. We felt like it wasn't relevant to my life. I didn't know how this interacted with my life. And I got to a point where maybe I went every Sunday with a hope that something would happen in my life, but still I didn't see any changes in my life. And I think a lot of us have had experiences like that, and that might have been why you stopped going to church, or that might be the reason why you only show up once in a blue moon, or that might be the reason why you decided to give up on Christianity altogether. But I want to tell you tonight that no matter where you are in your journey with God, whether you're exploring spirituality or you're not sure if God exists or you've had a relationship with God for a long time, we are going to look at this topic tonight and see, is that experiences that you have had previously in your life, is that what Christianity is all about? So we are busy with the series Marked by Love. We've been working through the book of Mark. It is the gospel, the shortest gospel, a gospel. There's four of them in the New Testament. They all tell the story of the life of Jesus. Mark is the shortest one. So it's a very condensed book about the life of Jesus. And we've been working through that each week. And um, this is our second last part of it. We're going to stop basically just before the crucifixion of Jesus next week. And um, what I want to challenge you is to continue what I've said, is to read through the book of Mark as we do the series. But our topic tonight is the withering effect of religion. The withering effect of religion. And um, what we're going to be looking at is how religion, if it's practiced in the wrong way, can just make our, our relationship with God, our faith, kind of like wither and die. So before we're going to read... We said in the series, we want to see who this Jesus was, 
what he did, how he lived, what he taught, and how that affects someone who wants to follow after him. So in this story, before we're going to read what Jesus did here, this is one of the most action-packed parts in the, entire Bi- in the entire Bible to me. Because Jesus went into a temple and he started throwing over stuff. And I just love that part of it. But before we read that, I want, I want to give you a bit of background. Because this story that we're going to read now is wedged between two pieces, two stories about a fig tree. The figs, the little fruit, hopefully you've had some of them. When I was growing up, there was always a fig tree in our garden. But we're going to be reading about this temple and about a fig tree. But before we're going to read that, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, he gets hungry. He walks past the fig tree full of leaves. So Jesus expects that there will be fruit on this tree. But when Jesus goes to the tree, there's nothing on the tree. He can't eat. There's no fruits on it. So Jesus tells this tree, no one will ever eat from you again. Jesus curses this tree. And then this happens. They travel further into Jerusalem. And we'll be reading from Mark 11 from verse 15. If you've got your Bibles here, you can open to that. Um, It will also be on the screen. So Mark 11 from verse 15. When they, so that's Jesus and the people who followed him, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. So by the way, when you read drive out, this is a short version, right? So it's like Jesus was driving them out. If you read in the book of John, Jesus took rope and he made a whip. So he was driving them out in a proper way. It wasn't just like, shoo, shoo. He like went in there like full action, driving these people out. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. I can imagine this in my mind. You know, you always think about Jesus as this calm person. He was sitting there. He was teaching people. He was hugging the kids and kissing babies and all kinds of things. But here Jesus comes in with a whip and he kicks over chairs. And I just love this part. It's full of action. So after he did this, he said to the people, The scriptures declare that my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. So we're going to skip the next couple of verses. But then the priest basically makes plans to kill Jesus. They don't want Jesus to continue what he's been doing. And then Jesus and his disciples from verse 19, they they left the city again. So verse 20, the next morning, as they passed by this fig tree that Jesus cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. So it's not just the leaves that are hanging, like the whole thing into the roots are all like withered. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the tree you cursed has withered and died. And then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sin too. So that's where we're going to stop tonight. It's a little bit of a longer piece. We couldn't read the first part. But it's the story of the fig tree 
that kind of makes like a sandwich with the story of the temple in the middle. And when you read this, you're like, what has a, what has a fig tree and the temple have in common? Did people used to hide under the fig tree like I did with the mulberry tree? That's not what it is about. But what we're going to see tonight is that the fig tree and the temple had a lot in common. When Jesus cursed that fig tree, it reminded, and it, it was an image for his followers of what dead religion can mean. So I want us to quickly go through this and see why did Jesus walk into this temple and kick over tables and chairs and chase people out of the temple? Now, before we do this, I want you to kind of get this picture of what the temple looked like. The temple had these big walls, and then when you went in, there was a big area that was like everyone could go in there, whether you were a Jew or whether you were a Gentile. So someone who didn't follow the Jewish faith and the Jewish religions, you could go in, and in this area... People would have money, there would be money changers, because you weren't allowed to pay the temple tax, the money you would give to the temple, with a Roman coin or with a Persian coin. Because on those coins, there was a head of the, of the king of whoever ruled that empire. So they felt like if they gave these coins to God, it would be idol worship. So they would take this coin with a head of the Roman emperor on it, and they would give it to these people who change money, and then they would give them some Jewish money that didn't have the head of anyone on it, and then they could pay the temple tax. But these guys didn't just exchange money. They made a bunch of profit of it. They exploited the people who came to the temple. Furthermore, these people would come and they wanted to bring offerings to God. And if you look at the Old Testament, they had to offer like a little dove or they had to offer a lamb. And then what would happen is they would bring the lamb or the dove to the temple and the priest would look at this lamb or this dove and say like, no, it's not good enough. There's something wrong with it. And then what would happen is you have this little lamb, but you can't offer it to God. So you had to buy it from someone who was selling lambs in this temple court. And guess what they do? They just push the price up like crazy. So the priest and these people kind of work together to just keep turning down the offerings people were bringing in order for them to buy it from someone so that they could get rich. So it's kind of like a, a Gupta scheme, okay? So Jesus walks in there. And when, by the way, then after this area, you could go into the inner part of the temple. There was a part for the women. There was a part for the, man, for the men. Then there was a part for the high priest. It was like these different levels that you had to go to. But if a Gentile, someone that was not a Jew, if they entered deeper into the temple past this first courtyard, there was a sign on them that warned them, if they go through this door, they will be killed. Okay. So that's the backstory. So what is the issue that Jesus had with all these people? The first thing that I think G- the problem that Jesus had was Jesus had a problem that people were being exploited. Throughout the Bible, we see that God has a problem when some people use their power and use their position to exploit other people. And this is exactly what was happening in this temple. They were exploiting people who wanted to worship God, and they were very selfish and trying everything they could to enrich themselves at the cost of other people that wanted to worship God. The second thing I think that, God, that Jesus had against them when you read the story is that this whole sense of God's presence in the temple, they lost that sense of God's presence. See, after Jesus ascended to heaven, his Holy Spirit was poured out. So now, God is not only in the temple, God is here in this place tonight through his Spirit. He's present here. When you go home tonight, God's Spirit is present in your home. When you go to work tomorrow, whether that's in a car driving Uber, or whether that's a teacher in a school, or whether you work in an office, God is present there. 
But back then, before the Spirit was poured out, God chose to be present in His temple. So if you wanted to be in God's presence, you had to go to this temple and then be in His presence there. But because these people were all about themselves, what they basically did is they exchanged this worship, this this passion to be in God's presence, and they exchanged this for their own selfish stuff to enrich themselves. So Jesus not only had a problem that they were exploiting people, but he had a problem that they were exchanging the sense of awe and wonder of being in God's presence for all kinds of commercial things. And the last thing when we read about the prayer that I think Jesus had an issue with was that there were no more powerful prayers going out of the temple. And you're going to see it now when we read, when we talk about the fig tree. But Jesus had a problem because these people were still praying certain prayers every day, but there was no power in it. It was just like little rhymes that they kept saying over and over. And in this process of their religious structures, they even pushed other people out that didn't look the same as them, or who didn't speak the same language. And anyone who wasn't Jewish weren't allowed to go into the presence of God. When Jesus saw that fig tree, he cursed it. Because there was all kinds of leaves on this tree. It looked so pretty. It looked so good. It looked as if it was all healthy. But there was no fruit on it. And even though it wasn't the season to pick the fruit, at least there should have been blossoms on it. Or little, little, the little parts of the fruit that start out as a little knob. But there was nothing on it. And throughout the Bible, we read about, and specifically Jesus talks about the problem of dead religion. Where on the outside we look good. It looks as if I'm growing. It looks as if I've got a relationship with God. There's leaves on me. The temple is buzzing. There's people around. And, and we're helping people to get money so that they can pay the tax. And everyone is bringing their offerings. And everyone is saying their prayers. And it looks really good. But there's no fruit. And the fruit is where the problem is at. And Jesus talked to the religious leaders all the time. Another example that he used, he said, on the outside, you look like a white gravestone. So beautiful, so pretty and polished. But on the inside, it's just dead bones. See, Jesus used this to explain to them that faith is not equal to religion. See, you can be all religious without knowing God. And I'm not saying tonight, I want you to understand this, that religion in itself is bad. You see, the word religion means a set, a system of faith and worship. So a system that we set in place to worship God. So when we gather here tonight, this is, this is religion, because we gather together, we created a structure, a system. So I'm not saying that religion is bad, building a building or meeting together or anything. Throughout the Bible, that happens. So religion is not all bad, but when we think that faith and religion is the same thing, that's where the problem comes in. See, because you can, you can be part of dead religion. Will you come to church and you sit in church every single Sunday? Will you go to community group? Will you say the prayer every single evening that your mom taught you when you were five years old? And you can go through all these emotions and you might even give some of your money. But if you are just doing it because you're doing it for selfish reasons, it's dead religion. If you're doing it to enrich yourself or to feel good about yourself or to try to gain a place in heaven or try to gain God's approval, it's selfish reasons and it's dead religion. That's what they were doing. They were using religion to enrich themselves. 
You see, if you practice some form of religion and it excludes others, it's dead religion. That's what the Jewish people were doing. They were excluding anyone who didn't fit their picture. And you get it in churches all over where if someone is a different language or a different color, they will be excluded. They often say that the church is still one of the most segregated places in the world where people only of their own culture and their own language and their own color worship together. If you are part of a religious structure where people who are still making mistakes or who are still struggling or are still trying to find Jesus, if you are part of a structure that pushes them out and that's not inviting them in and helping them, you're part of dead religion. If there is no sense of God's presence, you can be part of dead religion. See, because Jesus made a promise to be with his church. And when we are together, we need to come with an expectation of having an encounter with Jesus, of being in his presence. But if you don't experience that, if you don't experience his presence when you're praying or when you're spending time with him, if there's never a sense of awe about God's greatness or his holiness, it could be that you're still only practicing religion. If there's no power in your faith, if there's no life change that happens, it can be dead religion. You see, there's more to faith than just religion. And you can do all the outward right things. But if these essentials are missing, your life of faith will wither and die. And I think for too long in the Western world, we played this game of religion in the church where we thought that if we just gather together or we just bring our money or something, that our relationship with God will be fine. And I believe because we did that and we didn't seek for something more or something deeper, I believe that is the reason why Christianity started to decline, because it seemed like a dead religion. But there's nothing wrong with Christianity There's nothing wrong with following Jesus. It is not dead and it is not without power. It is pretty much alive. And that is why when they walked out, back out of the city, after Jesus chased all these people out that had that were practicing dead religion and they walked past this tree and the disciples stopped. That is why Jesus took this opportunity to teach them the difference between dead religion and faith. A religion that's filled with something more. Jesus talked in verse 22 to 25 about a very powerful faith. And he starts out this way. They were like, Jesus, how can you say that tree will die and then the next morning it's dead? Jesus starts out this way. This is his first word to his disciples. Have faith in God. So Jesus is basically saying, don't be like the religious leaders. Don't just get together because you think you have to. Yes, there's some form of discipline where you say, like, I'm going to make the time to be here. I'm not going to avoid it. But Jesus is like, don't just gather together. Don't try to do it for selfish reasons. Don't try to exploit people. Don't push other people out. The main thing about this is having faith in God. What does faith mean? It means trusting God. It means having hope in Him. It means that you are building a relationship not with something that's carved from stone. Not with something or some energy or something that was thought up by human mind. But you are having and you're building on a relationship with a God that loves you, that has a heart for you, that cares about you. 
It was about more than religion. Jesus was talking about a relationship with God. That it can be so active in your life and so alive that Jesus said it can move mountains. If there's anything in this world that seems impossible, it's to tell a mountain to pick itself up and throw it in the ocean. Look, go and stand. Go and drive into our city and look at the mighty table mountain. I think it will take years and years of massive machines and explosions and things to move that mountain out of the way. Just as you can tell that mountain to, to lift itself up and throw it in the ocean, and it will do that. You see why? Because faith is not just religion. It's about the power of God made alive in us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead made alive in us. The power of the Holy Spirit through whom all the gifts of the church flow made alive in us. The power of grace and forgiveness that will overcome your sin, that will overcome your weakness, that will overcome your mistakes made alive in us. The power of God that has a heart of a father that says, I want to include you and I want to love you and I want to care for you that power made alive in us. Jesus is like, that's what faith is about. And Jesus says, if you have faith and you pray and you don't doubt, then anything you ask will be given to you. And I know what you're thinking. I'm going to pray for a Ferrari tonight. (laughs) I remember when I was little, I was still in, in preschool and just before Christmas, they took us to this big mall somewhere in Johannesburg area. I was too little to know what it was. I think it was Southgate or something like this. And they set up this huge like castle thing. And it's so ironic. We live in a country of summer Christmas, but they always try to bring in the snow thing, right? So they built a snow castle. And then you could walk through it. And there were these little windows. And if you look through a window, there's like all these toys that... Like anything your heart desires. And, and it's like Santa's castle. And that is now all the toys that, that his elves build. And you will look at that. And then guess what? You will want those toys. And you will run to your mom. And you will like, Mommy, I want that thing. And I walked past this thing. And I saw a go-kart. Like electric go-kart. And since I was little, I loved cars. So I looked at that go-kart. And I'm like, man, if I can only have that go-kart. But guess what? I knew my parents would never get it for me. So that evening I went home, and as a good Christian boy, I was laying in my bed, and I had 100% faith that if I prayed that God would give it to me. So I was laying in bed, and I was praying like, God, when I woke, wake up tomorrow morning, let there be a whole truck in the road in front of a house filled with these go-karts. And I prayed that over and over, and as a little kid of, I don't know, six years old or something, I believed 100% that the next morning that truck would be there. So the next morning I ran out of the house, and guess what? A truck full of go-karts broke down in front of our house. No, I'm lying. (laughs) I ran out the next morning, and there was nothing but a dirt road. And it's not because I didn't have enough faith. You see, but when Jesus said, you can have anything you want if you pray in faith, that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. It doesn't mean you can pray that your enemy will die and he's going to fall over tomorrow. You see, the Bible tells us that when we pray, there's some specific guidelines on how we should pray. James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote one of the last books in the Bible, and he said that we do not have because we do not pray. 
If there's something in your life that's missing, if there's no life change in your life, if there's no relationship with God, if your faith is powerless, if it's just religion, you might not have it because you haven't prayed about it, because you haven't asked God for it. But then he says, and when you pray, you do not receive, and you can go and read this in James 4, verse 2 and 3. When you pray, you do not receive because you ask for selfish reasons. You see, God is like a good father who will give us anything we pray for if it's in his will. You see, a prayer in harmony with God's will Nothing is impossible. But if it's out of God's will, if it's not in harmony with God's will, He's not going to give it to you. Because no good father will go out, and if his little boy asks for a gun when he's five years old, he's going to say like, okay, buddy, you asked for it, so here's a gun. And dad is not going to do that. And God is not going to answer selfish prayers when it's all about you. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom. Make it about God first. Make it about his kingdom. Make it about Jesus first. And then he says, the rest will be added on. So when Jesus said, this is what faith is about. It's about God's power being made alive in us. Pray and God will give it to you. He didn't say it in isolation of everything else he said. He didn't say it's a free for all and just pray for whatever you want. Pray for a truck full of of go-karts and it's going to be there tomorrow. He said pray and it will be given to you, but it needs to be in harmony with God's will. And I want to tell you, any prayer in harmony with God's will, nothing is impossible for it. And we can try to explain that away. We could say when Jesus was saying that in Mark 11, he was talking about mountains in our life. Yeah, that can be true. That promotion that seems like it's never coming. That financial crisis that you feel you cannot overcome. That seems like every time you try to reach out to God, you just hit a a brick wall. Those things that seem like mountains in your life, you can overcome it. Yes, that's true. You can overcome it if it's in line with God's will and you pray. But what Jesus was saying when he was talking about a mountain, I don't think he was just saying it figuratively. He tried to tell the disciples that nothing is impossible for God. But we need to know God. We need to know his heart in order to pray according to his will. We need to have a relationship with him. And we need to trust him, as we said last week, like a child. But Jesus ends this talk about faith and about the power of faith. In verse 25, he ends it with forgiveness. And it's like when you pray, first forgive. I'm like, okay, so we have the temple. We had the fig tree, and now we're at forgiveness. How does all of this gel? Let's go back to the beginning. Jesus had an issue with people being exploited. Jesus had an issue that some people were not allowed to pray. Jesus had an issue that the presence of God was not seeked in that temple anymore. You see, and all of those things is about broken relationships with each other, about broken relationships with God. And when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he talks about relationships being mended, about relationships that fell apart being restored, about bad relationships being reconciled. 
And that's why he talks about forgiveness. Jesus talked about forgiveness because he's like, I want you to forgive your brother. I want that grudge that you might have against God because you felt like he didn't answer your prayer. I want you to forgive God if that's what it takes. By the way, God also always answers prayers. Sometimes his answer is just no. He wants us to forgive ourselves when we make the same mistake over and over. See, because at the end of the day, Christianity is about this. About loving God and about loving other people. And it's impossible to love anyone when your heart is filled with bitterness. And I believe that any prayer of a bitter person cannot penetrate the walls of your own bitterness. Bitterness will be a block in your prayer life. Bitterness will act like a block in your passion to see God. So Jesus is like, first learn to forgive because when you can forgive, relationships can be reconciled. Then you will stop praying selfishly. Then you will stop feeling guilty all the time. Then you can go with an open heart and a humble heart to God and you can speak with your Father in heaven. And you can know that He that He loves you and that your relationship is reconciled because that is why Jesus came to earth. That is why Jesus died on a cross so that our relationship with our Father does not need to be broken anymore. And you can go to your Father and you can pray and you can ask according to His will. And you will see the power of your faith made alive. So I want to ask you tonight, I want to invite you to trade religion, to trade religious acts, to trade all those good things that you feel you have to do in order for God to love you, that you feel you have to do in order for your pastor to approve of you, that you feel you have to do in order for your parents to be okay with you. I want you tonight to trade that and say, like, I'm going to stop doing that because I feel like I have to do it or because it's my tradition or because it's my culture or because I'm doing it to exploit people. And I want you to lay that down tonight and trade it for faith, to trade it for a relationship with Jesus, to trade it for the power of God's Spirit being made alive inside you. How? Simple. You go on your knees. You lay down your own power and your own efforts. And you allow God to take control of your life. You put God back on the throne of your life. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so easy for us to fall into a trap of religion to do things just because we think we have to and then we don't know what's wrong because our faith feels dead. Or we don't know what's wrong because our lives are not truly changing. Or we don't know what's wrong because we're praying and nothing happens. But I realize it's because we make everything about ourselves so often. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we will lay it all down at your feet. 
that we will forgive ourselves and that we will forgive other people because you have forgiven us first. And that we will seek a relationship with our Father. That we will seek an encounter with you. That we will seek your presence. I pray, Jesus, that you will keep knocking on the door of our hearts until we open up for you, until we surrender to you. I pray it in your name. Hi, I'm Louis Skippers, the lead pastor of Prodeo Church, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to this message today. If you felt inspired by it and you would like to see this continue, we would love to get some of your support. So follow one of the three links below. There's two for South African donors, one a SnapScan link and one our banking details. Or if you're an international listener, there's also a link for you to follow if you wanted to give. So from my side, thank you again and may God bless you.